Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses or your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Happy Halloween Town Prom Party. Hey. Hey. I saw my opportunity and I took it. <laughs> Especially considering we did only Halloween movies all month. Which was definitely not planned, but it was a very happy accident. Yeah, it worked out really well. And I have to say that um, we, we've, we've, we've covered movies this month that have fans. Uh-huh. But this is by far far the most popular movie we're covering this month. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, for those that don't know, the town that Halloween Town was shot in does a month-long Spirit of Halloween Town celebration every October. And one year when they were going to have Kimberly J. Brown and the rest of the cast uh, show up for it, over 15,000 people showed up to this little small town. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. That's That's a lot. that's impressive yeah so we sort of alluded that this was going to be something we were covering last month when we talked about motocrossed and how we really need to kind of grease the wheels and get harmony used to non-musical decoms Mm -hmm. uh, because we were preparing for halloween town is this the most popular decom outside of high school musical yes Okay, that's what's what it feels like. Yes, absolutely the most popular. There are plenty who will argue that it's also the best. I am firmly on Team Smart House. I've made that very well known. Do not at me. <laughs> but yes, Halloween Town is easily probably the most beloved, I would say. Okay. I mean, I've seen this one. So that was that was gonna be my next question was Harmony, what is your exposure to Halloween Town before this episode? See, that's the thing with these like first year of the disney channel original movies where they really were promoting the shit out of them where i distinctly remember like the 13th year or smart house or you know maybe a handful of other movies where it was like an event to watch them oh yeah halloween town was one of those movies and this is also like the first proper year of the decom like the first Mm -hmm. full year so yeah, I, I distinctly remember being seven years old and this was promoted on other channels that were not Disney Channel. And the Disney Channel advertised the shit out of this movie as well to the point mm-hmm. where I have like the equivalent of when you leave a TV or an arcade cabinet on too long and you get that screen burn. Oh, yeah. I have that in my brain for the previews of Halloween Town. In particular, Dylan going, powers, 
what powers? And then it cutting <laughs> to something else. Like, it's just, it's there. It's burned in my brain. I can't get rid of it. It's uh-huh. there forever. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, for for those who couldn't have guessed by the everything about me, Halloween Town is a very big deal for very young BJ Galangelo. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, I could have guessed that without <laughs> ever even asking because I know how much you are a um, a Halloween decorations or house decorations kind of person and seemingly always have been. We are currently in a living room lit by blow molds that are up year round, one of which is Bela Lugosi as Count Dracula and the other is a skeleton with a top hat and cane and cape. He's quite dapper, but he is also a dapper skeleton. Bella Lugosi blow mold is one of my prized possessions. I coveted him for like ten years before I found one. Yes, and we also currently have two separate Elvira decorations up. They're on opposite side of the room. They are on opposite sides of the room. That is true. Yeah. But yes, Halloween decorations are just home decor for me. Um, I love Halloween, and I love. Marnie Cromwell, because <laughs> I was eight years old when this movie came out, and hearing her talk about how much she likes weird stuff and Halloween is cool. She owns all the Frankenstein movies. She knows all about monster movies. Like, she was a girl after my own heart, and there were not a lot of spooky girls mm-hmm. for me to aspire to that weren't like final girls that were in their late teens or into their 20s who are not 30 years old playing 18 correct like this was an actual teenager and somebody who looked like we had the same bangs at the same time so like clearly (laughs) we were meant to be best friends oh of course i mean that's really all it takes to be friends with someone at a certain age where it's just like oh my god you also like graham crackers (laughs) we're besties now (laughs) totally totally So for those that don't know, the story of Halloween Town cannot be told from Fandango because they hate TV movies. They hate TV movies. They are all about theater all the time. So according to our friends at IMDb. Are we friends? Eh, we're acquaintances. Yeah. When a young girl living with her good witch grandmother learns that she too is a witch, she must help her grandmother save Halloween Town from evil forces. That is not correct. That's not correct. That's not correct. Marnie does not live with Grandma Aggie. Grandma Aggie comes to visit. And she can only do so on Halloween. Right. She lives with her mom, who is wrong most of the time, (laughs) and Marnie is right, but she doesn't know that she's right. She happens to be right. Yes. Uh, so, sorry, IMDb, incorrect. Marnie is living at home with her mom, who is also a witch, but she doesn't know it. This is why we can't be friends with IMDb. This is why we can't be friends, because they lie to us sometimes like this. Don't lie to your friends. Don't lie to your friends. That's not a good friendship. It's just a costume party. You've got to let me go. The whole world is going. Okay, if I don't girl. go, I'll be a freak. You know, you go. the odds were 50%. Mom, I get one normal sister. Look, Mom. I'm 13, okay? I'm practically a grown-up. I'm certainly old enough to make my own choices. Right? Yeah, I guess so. Is there an age for that? Look, Marnie, I am sorry, but you are not going out on Halloween. Why? I have my reasons, and I will explain them to you when you're taller. So anyway, as we were saying, Marnie does not live with her grandmother, but she does eavesdrop a conversation from her grandmother and her mom and finds out that, yes, 
Grandma Aggie is a witch, and so is their mom, and so is she, and Halloween Town's in trouble, so she and her sciency shithead little brother. Oh, Dylan. Dylan. Uh, <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> they sneak on the bus that very much seems like it is the inspiration for the bus in Sky High, mm-hmm. and uh, they travel to Halloween Town. They land, and unbeknownst to them, baby sister Sophie has snuck on the bus as well, and now it is up to the three kids to help grandma save Halloween Town. Mm-hmm. That is a more accurate descriptor far longer than what needed to be there but at least accurate yeah <laughs> i would put you in charge of writing the overly passionate plot synopsises that we sometimes get on fandango oh yeah i would write a three paragraph essay as a synopsis about this movie yeah <laughs> if no one would if no one's gonna stop me i'll, I'll just do it um, so this movie did come out in 1998, and 1998 uh, seemed to be a very big year in the world of pop culture. So Harmony, I am just dying to know what was going on when we were seven and eight years old. Well, normally I like to look up like what teen releases were coming out this year, but if I were to look at the teen releases, they are so not emblematic of what this film is that I just didn't include any of them. Because <laughs> this is... This is a young teen movie. Like This is a preteen movie. Yes. Marnie just turned 13. Yeah. And 13 is kind of like a lot of Disney movies center around your 13th birthday and like becoming 13th 13, year. Like the 13th year. <laughs> and I think it's a combination of both like, even if you're not Jewish, a lot of people understand like the, the bar and bat mitzvah belief of like you turn 13 and then you become an adult. Mm-hmm. So I think there's that practice at play. And then there's also the idea that 13 is kind of the cap for like Disney Channel. At least in, in the 90s, it absolutely was. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of like your send off of like, it's cool if you're a teenager and you still like this because they're also 13. 13's like also when you kind of start getting ready to go to high school. Yeah. And once you're in high school, then you're kind of an adult, but you're not. But right. Then you, you've you're aged viewed out. as having more responsibilities. Correct. So because of that, I was looking more in the like kid and family feature section of like what was going on at this time. And I mean, I think that there's no better place to just sort of glance over real quick than what Disney Channel original movies kind of were, because before they became branded as DCOMs, they were known as Disney Channel premiere films. Mm-hmm. And they were for about 15 years before becoming DCOMs. And like the most officially recognized first DCOM is Under Wraps. Yes, which I love. Yes. Halloween Town is only the fourth DCOM. But if you were to look at like some of the Disney Channel releases before this, they have things going on where it's like, Back to Hannibal, The Return of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, where they have to help their friend Jim, just Jim. I mean, thank God for that. <laughs> who is being tried for murder, allegedly. Let's not thank God for that. That's terrible. Yeah, so that's what that movie's about. Or um, a movie called Perfect Harmony, which is about the civil rights movement. And Disney, like, sort of tiptoed in that a little bit with The Color of Friendship, but for the most part... Were DCOMs were much more fluff films. Mm-hmm. Like they were a little more in common with like what I understand things to be like Suzy Q or like Paper Brigade or Wish Upon a Star, which were like the end of the premiere channel films. Yeah, yeah. Like that's sort of what this particular subgenre of film morphed into. And if you were to really take a look at some of the stuff that was being released this year, I think that this demo really was circumventing movie theaters altogether. Okay. 
because you had releases that were coming out, like um, the Rugrats movie or Pokemon the first movie or Mulan, the Parent Trap, Madeline, Airbud, Golden Receiver. Oh, God. Those were all being released in theaters. And, like, they were all, well, maybe not Airbud so much, but, like, the rest of them were all moderate to pretty good successes. But then, if you look at some of the other releases that were coming out this year. Like, not theatrical? Like, not theatrical. You notice a very, very common trend that I don't know if people who weren't there for it can really understand, like, how much of a defining era we were in. Okay. So... Here's some of the other things that were coming out. I'm weirdly nervous, and I don't know why. It's, it's Just fine. the way you're, like, building this up, it's I fine. am feeling anxiety. I'm like, my butthole's a little puckered right now. I'm a little nervous. We were entering the era of, like, direct-to-video being the prime market uh-huh. for kids and preteens. So the releases we have include Billboard Dad. Oh, hell yeah, Billboard Dad. Another entry in the Mary-Kate and Ashley direct-to-video empire. Fern Gully 2. Secret of Nim 2, The Lion King 2, Pocahontas 2, Swan Princess 3, An American Tale 3, Beauty and the Beast 3, Land Before Time 6. Oh my god. Dennis the Menace Strikes Again, An All Dogs Go to Heaven Christmas Carol, The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars, Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain, and the best zombie movie of the 1990s, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Zombie Island. Island. Oh, thank god for that. So... Oh, God, yeah, we're definitely in, like, the, oh, my God, we got to shit out a sequel and put it out of VHS tape as soon as we possibly can. But for real, though, and, again, I don't know if people who weren't there or were not, like, actively paying attention to this know quite how adamant the direct-to-video sequel was during this period. Oh, yeah. Where we're coming down off the high of the Disney Renaissance, which made more money than God. Mm-hmm. They're the reason that they can afford to buy Marvel and Star Wars. Yes, absolutely. And everyone wanted a piece of that pie. You had your Don Bluths. You had like Swan Princess, Land Before Time, which Bluth had nothing to do with, ended up having like 11 movies. And all of these other like kid and young teen films were coming out. And it really was the perfect storm for Disney to transition to making TV movies aimed at this demographic. Oh, yeah. I mean, of that list of the theatrical releases that you were talking about, I saw Pokemon the first movie in theater. Mm -hmm. I didn't see the rest of those in the theater. And a lot of them I love. Like, I love The Parent Trap. I didn't see that in theater. My mom was not shelling out that much money to take me and my sister. And, you know, we would have made a whole family deal. So her and my dad, they were not going to pay for all four of us to go to the theater to watch a movie that there was a good chance they were not going to have any interest in whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like we had to, I had to kind of beg them to take me to see Pokemon. And the only reason that we went was because my mom ran a daycare and the whole fucking daycare wanted to go. So we just made a giant like field trip out of it. You see, I think Pokemon also is the only one of those I saw in the theater. And the really funny thing is that my dad lorded that over my head for the rest of my life. Well, he's not in the picture anymore, so he can fuck off. No, but it would be like, hey, I don't want to do X thing. And I would say it as like a 17-year-old. And he would go, well, I didn't want to see that dumb Pokemon movie. But I did it because sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do. Oh, my God. Like, it was just like making me be like, hey, you know that thing you liked as a 7-year-old? I'm going to make you regret it. That's so shitty. (laughs) Which is ridiculous. But that said... There was a market for, like, the hype of a new movie that you don't have to pay for, especially Mm -hmm. because I don't know how it was with other families, but my family would constantly complain about how how expensive movie theaters were, and so we wouldn't go very often. 
that was a, a definitely a similar thing. Movie theaters for us were like people would go for like your birthday. Like that would be your birthday party is you and your friends are all going to go see the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. Am I speaking from experience? <laughs> Maybe. Um, and that for me would... it was Snow Dogs or <laughs> Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> but these are just things that, you know, we we did because it it was kind of expensive and I grew up poor. Mm-hmm. Um, it was way easier for us to go down the street and rent movies from the local mom and pop shop or to Blockbuster when Blockbuster took over and we'd go to the town over and get get it from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really cheap. Or if you were at Kmart that day and they have all of like the sequel VHS tapes, those were always cheaper mm-hmm. and we could buy them and bring them back home. Yeah. We did them all the time. Yeah. I, I remember the only time we would really get to go to the movies consistently and it was always a fucking treat was the drive-in. Mm-hmm. And... The reason for it was the Autorama, which still is extremely cheap up in northern Ohio. I think it's like a carload of people. It's like 20 bucks or something. Mm -hmm. It's still very affordable. Yeah, it's like so affordable. And the only reason we went, because it was like, oh, no, like five bucks a person or whatever. But we could sneak in snacks, which I frown upon as an adult because that is how drive-ins in particular stay open. But yeah, no, we totally fucking did that. And I didn't know there was anything wrong with it. They were like, shh, don't do it. It's like, oh, it's it's fun, though. Like, I don't want to. Come on. Like, they were being cutesy about how we were just totally not paying for concessions. Yeah, we we would go to the drive-in as well because we had one. But the reason that we would go is because it was always a, like, a family-friendly was movie one. And then something that was more for adults was movie two. Mm-hmm. So typically what would happen is, like, we would watch the first movie as a family, and then when the second movie hit, usually my sister would be like, I'm going to bed because I'm tired, mm-hmm. and I would try to stay up as late as I possibly can, which is also why the first time I ever saw Twister was in a drive-in, and when the <laughs> drive-in scene hit, I had a bad time. <laughs> I See, the Autorama didn't have that as an issue because it had two screens that were on opposite sides with each other. So one of them was usually the fam. One of them is the family friendly screen. The other one is like the more like adult screen. And that's still how they function. Exactly. And like, that's fine. So it would be, you know, two family friendly films that would wrap up at like one 30, two in the morning or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that meant we didn't have to go to church the next day, which was a fucking holiday in my young brain book. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, it's, it's really something. Cause in the nineties, I feel like a lot of people I know had at least, like, a sizable family. Like, there weren't a Mm -hmm. lot of, like, single kid families that I knew growing up, right? Not a lot of only children. Yeah, no. Everyone that I grew up with had at least, like, one sibling. Obviously, that's a generalization. There were were obviously only children that exist. I'm not trying to say they didn't exist. Mm -hmm. But for the majority, two to three siblings, um, and then, you know, there's always the families that had, like, way more than that. Like, a, a, a gross of children. Yeah, like, Duggar style. That, yeah. that for sure also existed where I grew up. Yeah, so I wonder if also, like, the made-for-TV movie was extremely popular for large families because, yeah, it's really expensive to especially take that many people. So then you just stay at home and you get, you get your movie blanket and you make popcorn and it's a whole, like, little family experience. Well, because once we get into the 90s, this is also where we're starting to get the explosion of multiplexes. Um, Like, they definitely existed in the 80s, but they became, like, they took over the theaters in the Mm -hmm. 90s the same way that Blockbuster took over mom and pop video stores, where you really couldn't sustain 
having one to two screens in a theater anymore Mm -hmm. because people had access to all of the movies at the video store. So you were also competing with rentals, which meant you needed to have more options, which meant you need to have more screens. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think, also part of it because th- and those are also way more expensive to, to operate because you're showing so many more movies. So then, yes, concessions and everything took a massive jump up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that, that had an impact on it. And cable started becoming more common in households because it was a little bit more affordable or you would just steal it like my family or you would just steal it yeah that's true people definitely did that yes um (laughs) so it makes total sense to me why something like halloween town would hit as big as it did now because like decoms still exist they still make them they just remade under wraps Mm -hmm. um which i haven't seen yet it does look very cute but um i'll watch it eventually but decoms still exist but they are not the humongous event like they were in the 90s mm-hmm. because they just don't have the same viewership numbers and so many people have cut cable that if they're going to see it they're going to see it on their own time when it shows up on Disney Plus. Yeah, pretty much. Like that makes perfect sense for how just the evolution of all this works cuz like it almost feels weird to say that like I don't know, I think of like oh, Tremor Shrieker Island is a direct to video sequel. I'm like, well, that's not even fully true anymore. Obviously there's physical copies, but so much of this stuff is like direct to streaming now. Right. Well, and also things being like direct to video or direct to stream is not the death sentence that it used to be. Uh-uh. Like it's to the point now where depending on what kind of movie you're making, you want to go direct to stream because you know it'll perform better there. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we talked about this in our Ginger Snaps episode where the first time I ever saw that movie and plenty of other good films were on the sci-fi channel and that also had like this weird stigma and stink on it where people assumed it was low quality. And I wonder if that's like we wh- where the de- generational divide is between like direct to streaming being considered bad versus that just being like, oh, no, of course stuff does that. It's normal and you don't know anything else. Because I think that like my brain doesn't think that. But there is this instinct of like this could go either way because I have a history of seeing stuff go direct to video and mm-hmm. being cheaper Yeah, I mean, when I first started writing about horror, my first professional job is that I worked at Bloody Disgusting for like a season uh, where I was the direct-to-DVD reviewer where they would just get sent hordes of DVDs Mm -hmm. and no one ever wanted to review them because nine times out of ten they were shit. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were like, here you go, you're the young teen, you can do this. And, you know, it was it was fine. I did get to see some cool movies, but yeah, a lot of them were terrible. But that's that's not the world that we live in now. And that's also, mm-hmm. you know, that's part of the the whole IATSE strike that's going on right now. Um, and all of the, the the conversations that are surrounding it is because people are they keep acting like, oh, well, streaming is unpredictable and we don't know if people are going to like it. And da, 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 so we can't pay you fair wages on, on streaming properties. And it's like, uh. The last Emmys, streamers took home more awards than cable providers did. So what the Mm -hmm. fuck are you talking about? Um, That's an entirely different conversation. Um, But it's just this evolution of of availability, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And And like the market for what you're releasing films on. Like there's so many different places. This feels so much like conditioning a generation of people like our age that this was like a place you could just go. You could just skip theaters. Mm Mm-hmm. And I have, and I do have mixed feelings on that because obviously accessibility is very, very important. That's a that's a huge thing. Uh-huh. But also, we do now have a generation of people who don't prioritize the theater, uh-huh. and theaters are dying. And that is why we have 
gotten sucked into this like superhero landscape because they're at least proven money makers and part of that money making is also contributing to keeping theaters alive like mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a vicious cycle and it feels like there's there's no way to make anybody happy and one thing leads to another it's it's very complicated and there's a lot of truths being held at the same time with this entire situation but Trying to get things back onto Halloween Town. <laughs> yes. Anyway, speaking of the Disney Corporation, which is Because we got very adult. Respons- yeah, speaking of the Disney Corporation that's responsible for all of this. For keeping all movie theaters alive and floating with all of their various properties. And also Halloween Town. <laughs> uh, real talk, the the accessibility of Disney Channel original movies is why I subscribe to Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. That's for real. And so weird, because I wanted to rewatch that. Um it's very weird as an adult to be able to just have Halloween Town at my disposal. I do also own the DVD that has Halloween Town and Halloween Town 2 because that was pre-Disney Plus and it was one of the few DCOMs that got a physical release. Oh, really? Yeah, not all of them did. And that was one that did. And I was like, well, I have to have this because I don't have cable anymore and I'm never going to see this again. So I, I, I got to buy it. What? You're not, you didn't, you're not telling me that Quince or the... the also starring Kimberly J. Brown. Genius or Horse Sense or Horse Sense sucks. Alley Cat Strike. You're Alley not saying Cat any Strike of these fun. got physical releases? <laughs> no. Alley Cat Strike is actually quite fun. It did teach everyone how to do a terrible, not based in physics at all way to hit a 710 split. Oh, is that the thing where you spin it weird? Yes. Oh, is that where that's from? That's where that's from. Oh. And it taught an entire generation of kids during bowling birthday parties to try that and slow everything down because oh, it takes awful. Because not only does it take forever to maybe hit the pins, if it goes in the gutter, it is so slow. and just It gets du- stuck. You, you then have to throw another ball at it in order for it to go. Yeah, it's a mess. It's, it's an absolute mess. So yes, Halloween Town is a big deal and it was very important for its time period and is definitely a product of its time, not in a negative sense in any stretch of the imagination, but in terms of why it was so popular. Like it is a complete reflection of what was going on movie-wise and I think that's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into Halloween Town. How do you feel about Marnie? I don't know how I feel about Marnie, if I'm being honest with you, like she feels like a very typical girl, like she's very, mm-hmm. very plain, but also like Marnie has these these things where she's absolutely right because her mom is absolutely wrong about a lot of things. And also mom is like, no, your grandmother doesn't get to train you. I'm going to do it. And I was like, excuse me, you are beyond rusty. You poofed flowers onto someone. No, no, no. <laughs> Grandma's much better for this. So that aside... She has this 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 arrogance about her that it, it it goes with the territory probably of being 13, 14 years old and now hitting that point where it's like you're getting adult responsibilities and that ties into what we were talking about earlier. But she's like, uh, mom, you're wrong about everything. I'm a witch. I can fix everything. I have powers. And it's like, you don't even know that you have powers. You just happen to be right about having powers. You You want to grow up so quickly and take on all of this stuff. But you're not equipped to handle all this stuff. I love Marnie because I was Marnie at that age. You're a know-it-all? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So here's what's happening with Marnie as a 13-year-old. 13 to 14 years old, I would say that sweet spot when you're in eighth grade right before you get to high school and seniors humble your ass is when you start to finally become aware of the world around you. You recognize that your parents are not infallible, um, that they that sometimes adults 
are wrong. That they're humans. And that they're humans. Sometimes they make mistakes. And then at the same time, you're also really starting to become a little bit more secure in your voice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you start having these really, really big feelings and these really big opinions. And you don't have the correct language for them. And you definitely don't have the emotional competency quite yet to navigate the feelings that you have. So what ends up happening is you're just kind of this giant ball of energy. And somebody like Marnie is also so inquisitive and is also very intuitive. Mm -hmm. Like she knows that her mom is fucking gaslighting her to her face. Mm -hmm. Does she know that that's what's happening? Obviously not. She just knows that something is wrong. And every time she tries to question it, her mom is just giving her like, well, I'm the adult or because I said so, which is so infuriating because as a 13 year old, that's not an acceptable answer anymore. You can get away with that with like a six or seven year old. Like Sophie, she just deals with it and is like, fine, I'll pout about it, but fine. Whereas Marnie's like, no, 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 that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. We need to have a conversation. You need to give me a reason and mom won't give it to her. So that's going to obviously make her way more combative mm -hmm. because she's at the age where she's not going to fucking back down. Yeah. So I definitely relate to that because as much as I do have like glowing reviews of my family because I got very, very lucky. The one thing my family's really bad at is hiding things from each other or not wanting to, not in the sense of like being dishonest or being intentionally like shitty to each other, but in the sense of like no one wants to burden another person. So frequently like you'll get a call a day late and be like, by the way, this happened. We didn't want to tell you because we wanted to make sure that it was fine and didn't want you to worry because it is fine. And it's one of those things like, D n just tell me what's happening. Oh, my God. Uh -huh. And I started becoming aware of that when I was 13, when it was like, what? Why? Why have I never known this? Like th that energy kind of all the time. <laughs> you start unleashing your, your dad. I argue just like my dad. I'm just, <laughs> it's just feisty Italian rage. Like, but speaking of feistiness, though, like, this is also, like, the period of life where you start to have, like, that first influx of puberty. So then you're, like, spiced because that is going on. Oh, yeah. Your hormones are making you out of control. And there's no way to, like, process what's happening. Mm -hmm. You're just, you're a constant chemical imbalance. Yeah. And also, you have Marnie taking an active interest in, like, Halloween and horror and all of these supernatural, cool, spooky elements. And Mom is like, no, you can't even go out during holidays. This is the devil's night. Yeah, and it has, it's like... It's almost, like, Christian, like, evangelicalism, but it's not. And that's where the frustration for Marnie comes in, because you can tell she's like, our family's not a bunch of religious weirdos, so, like, why can't we go outside? Why is this dangerous? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I love the way Marnie argues with her mom, where she's, like, she sits in the chair and goes, look, I'm a potato. Maybe I'll grow roots, because you don't want us to do anything. Like, mm -hmm. that is really funny and clever to me and such like a great way to sass your parents without being like, Hey, I hate you. You're ruining my life. Mm -hmm. But instead just like leaning into what's happening. Um, always funny to me. But what also doesn't help the fact is that Marnie's little brother, Dylan. Oh, he is such like a little go along. He's so he's practical to a fault. He's like the rich kid in the little rascals. That's awful. Yeah, he's definitely... He kind of looks like him. He's got the same, like, you'll be hearing from my lawyer kind of attitude. Like, if anyone's a know-it-all in this movie, it's Dylan, who has to have a logical explanation for everything. He's a skeptic. Yes, he's a skeptic, but 
child, you are too young to be a skeptic. Who sucked the magic out of your life? Oh, wait, it was your mom. Mom who didn't let him believe in spooky claws. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And then we have, like, Sophie, who, you know, is starting to develop her little witch powers because she's throwing a tantrum and wanting to get, you know, a cookie. Mm -hmm. And mom lies to her face. She eats a cookie in front of her. After telling her she can't have it. So, like, double whammy of mom bullshit Uh going on here. And, like, the thing is, I understand where Gwen, that's mom's name. I understand why Gwen is doing this. It's like their dad is a human, like the the world of Halloween Town and, and witchcraft and monsters and all of that is quote unquote not normal. Mm-hmm. And she wants her kids to be normal. But what she's doing is she is denying an entire side of their heritage from them. Mm-hmm. And we had this conversation a little bit earlier where obviously making this one-to-one comparison is not completely true but you can have allegories for anything this feels like a very similar energy to me than when there are mixed race kids that are being raised by white parents only like they don't have a relationship with their parent who's a person of color for you know whatever multitude of reasons and they don't allow that child access to that side of their heritage or when white parents adopt non-white children and then they don't put in the extra effort to let their kids know about like their heritage and their culture and the like it's so infuriating to me Mm -hmm. because that's what's happening here like she's basically denying the entirety of what is her own bloodline and her own family and the truth about that because she wants them to assimilate and be better members of american society and that is so constricting Mm -hmm. And that's so sad to me. Mm -hmm. And it's such a good allegory for that because it's able to have those really difficult conversations about like not lying to your children, but more importantly, not denying your children. Yeah, that'd be good. Too bad she doesn't do that. She really doesn't. I'm not really on mom's side for any of this I'm not either, like the entire time. And it's one of those things where I know that I'm supposed to feel for her in the sense of like, Oh, she's just trying to protect them. And like, yeah, I understand that. But that's the same reasoning that like white moms use for like making their black daughters try to look as white passing as possible and like not teaching them how to treat their hair properly because they want them to appear white because that is quote unquote safer. Mm. And like, that's not a good enough reason. Like that's not a justification for denying your children the truth about who they are as people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can make the same argument as well for, you know, like like intersex kids whose doctors choose their gender identity at birth and then like make their bodies act accordingly and then they just don't tell their kids. Oh yeah, that's always a fun thing to read about is someone going like, oops, found out that uh, I, I'm, I've been the wrong gender for my whole life. Right. Like, that shit's fucked. No wonder I've been depressed for 34 years. And that's exactly it. Like, that's why I've been depressed for this long. Because we're starting to see this with with Marnie as a 13-year-old. Like, she's combative at this point. But if this continued into her teen years, she would have rebelled so hard. And mm-hmm. she more than likely would have, like, cut off contact with her mom. Fuck you, mom. Yeah. that's 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 the road they're heading towards. So, like, as much as Marnie is, like being really really aggressive and like it's very easy to write her off as just being like a pissy teenager all of her feelings are so justified that i'm like yeah tell her off 
Like, be mouthy. Be this thing because you have known your entire life that there is something different about you and everyone has lied to your fucking face about it. So, like, yeah, I would absolutely be over the top about it because, like, because you know and you have to keep screaming about it. Like, no, this is who I am because no one is listening to you. So, like, I get it. I totally get it. Just because your grandmother said that you're a witch doesn't make you one. She didn't have to tell me. I, I could feel it. I am a witch, right? Right? So it's true. I am a witch. Well, how come I never knew? All this weird stuff's been happening to Sophie. Did that stuff happen to me? Yes. Yes, you showed signs of having the powers, and I hid them from you, just like I am doing with Sophie. And I did it for you, because this is not your world. Your father was human, and that is the world that we live in. Period. Look, if you want to give up your roots, that's fine. But I don't. And that's not right for you to try to make me. The part that I would like to bring up in relation to that is that Grandma, who we have not even talked about her yet, so we're going to get to that in one second, brings a beautiful Halloween Town book and shares it with them before bedtime. And there's a picture, and Marnie's like, it's me, I'm a witch, it's beautiful. And Dylan's like, it doesn't really look like you. Well, joke's on you, Dylan, because I know the truth about how they made that book, and that artist really did do a drawing of Kimberly J. Brown. Fuck off, Dylan. Because Dylan sucks. <laughs> He's... He's mommy's little prince or whatever. He sucks. Yes. Oh, God. He's so annoying. But yeah, let's talk about Grandma Aggie, who fucking rules. Yeah. We really don't make sweet old ladies like we used to, huh? Okay. So I had a thought when we were watching this, and the thought I had was that we we posed a question after our Princess Diaries episode of, like, if there was another actor to play, like, Queen Clarice other than Julie Andrews, who could who could it have been? I think Debbie Reynolds is the only other option. And even then, I think her face is too sweet. I, yes. I think that she's still too kind looking. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, mm, I think that would be the only one that I could accept would be Debbie Reynolds. Maybe. Yeah. But God, there's this weird thing where we had a conversation about how the Golden Girls weren't as old as we think that they are when they started filming the Golden Girls. Oh, yeah. They were like a couple years off from like our parents' age. Yeah, but they looked like grandparents because yeah, people... They, well, they styled them too. Yeah, well, they styled them, but that's also just what B. Arthur looked like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like you have this thing where it's like, wow, we just don't have old ladies be like old ladies like we used to. Where Betty White has been an old lady for a long time. And now people who were Betty White's age during the Golden Girls are, like, trying to still be, like, sexy, but they're also grandmas. Mm hmm So, like, it's weird that, like, just imagine if Angela Lansbury had been trying to be, like, sexy in the modern sense long past when she would have been in our real timeline. Yeah. Like, that's just a weird reality of, like, our sweet old ladies as we imagine them as this, like, Muriel from Courage the Cowardly Dog type. Like, that grandma doesn't exist in, like, the correct way that we see in media like this, you know? Yeah, that's very true. And, like, also that's not a knock on, like, the the older women now who are like... No, let them be sexy. Yeah, let them be sexy. They're owning it. Like, that's great. But you're totally right. That archetype of, like, sweet old lady... Like, that's not really a thing anymore. Like, everyone's grandmas now look like Diane Keaton. Like, yeah. they look stylish as hell. And I kind of, like, I have mixed feelings about it. Because part of me, like, really loves that. Because I also plan to be, like, a bad bitch old lady someday. 
And then I am also like, am I infantilizing old ladies a little bit when I'm like, oh, but you're not cute anymore. You're hot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But like, but I think it's just a symptom of people living longer, which means it's like, oh, well, 60 is the new 40. So then people are presenting in a younger way. Well, just to like give people perspective on what we're talking about here that might not be able to fully wrap their brains around it. Rue McClanahan was 51 years old when she was on the Golden Girls. So like Blanche was 51 when she started Golden Girls. Old enough to be retired. Allegedly. Jennifer Lopez is 52. Yeah. And we saw her in Hustlers three years ago. And everyone's been pissed off about sexy Aunt May. Yeah. And like (laughs) just let women are allowed to be hot. Like Like, fuck off. (laughs) But for real though, like look at that from like Sam Raimi Spider-Man number one with Aunt May and that one who is like great Aunt May. Yeah. versus Marissa Tomei in New Spider-Man. And like, that's the transition of that woman of like a certain age. Mm-hmm. Which, you know what? I kind of love. I love it too. I'm just saying that like, it's in 20 years that changed. Yes. yes. Like rapidly. Yes, totally. Um, and probably some of that is that, you know, older women don't get cast if they start to look too old. That's definitely part of it. I mean, beauty standards have also changed greatly and also just technology and of like plastic surgery and things mm-hmm. and, and maintenance, I should say. That has changed dramatically as well in the last 30 years. Get a good skincare program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of that. All of that sort of stuff exists now. But in terms of Debbie Reynolds in this movie. She's lovely. She's so lovely. She's like so she, sweet. She is the grandma I think everybody wishes that they had. Mm-hmm. Like she's like a storybook grandma. Mm-hmm. Because she's, I mean, she's literally magical. But like she has just this essence about her where she shows up and she's got all of the gifts and she comes with fun. But she's also very affirming of the kids and like doesn't gaslight them. Grandma brings the party. Grandma brings the party. She like, brings she, costumes. She brings candy and costumes. And I never had this with like my grandparents like maybe past the age of like six or seven or something like that, where it's just like, I want to go to grandma's house because I just don't want to be at home. And mm-hmm. it's exciting to go sleep somewhere else. So maybe I hit a certain age, but I I don't know. I've never really had the joy of seeing my grandma in the same way that I see grandma Aggie in this. That And I, I would have if this was my grandma. I got very lucky. Grandma Betty's the best. Oh my God, I love Grandma Betty. Grandma She's Betty's a bad the best. bitch. <laughs> She's a bad bitch. But when I was a kid, like, yeah, I mean, honestly, into my like, into my late teens, when I would go visit for for Christmas every year, my parents would like stay in like the little condo, and it's like, or you can go stay with Grandma. And I was like, I'm not gonna stay with Grandma. I'm not gonna stay with you weirdos. <laughs> I'm with you all the time. I'm gonna go hang out with Grandma, and she we're gonna watch old TV and drink Diet Coke and eat Doritos and it's going to be awesome. See, like, that's cool. My grandma's very practical Mm -hmm. to the point of being plain. Mm -hmm. Like, she's a perfectly nice lady, but she is also a woman who I don't know if she has interests. (laughs) She doesn't listen to music unless it's at church. I don't know what she likes to watch on TV. Grandma just is hanging out. My grandma likes slot machines and Neil Diamond. Exactly. Your grandma's (laughs) rad. My grandma just is there and she also drinks she also drinks beer from a champagne glass with ice grandma's grandma's rad i love grandma (laughs) betty so much my grandma rules yeah that's for sure um but yeah so (laughs) we have grandma aggie who not only is really just a great grandma i mean obviously she has to split time between worlds and that's difficult and obviously weighs very heavily on her heart but grandma aggie's also 
like the 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 de facto leader of Halloween Town. Like obviously they have a mayor, but Grandma Aggie is the first one who's noticing something is wrong, mm-hmm. something is happening, and I need to do something about it. Like she is not a do nothing bitch. Like she's like, no, we, we got something to do. We she, got to. She's an active member of her community. She is an active member of her community, which. Friends, do I have a fun take we're going to talk about about the community of following down later? It's uh-huh. going to blow your minds. But before we even get there, yes. So we've kind of got the idea of what's going on in Halloween Town. It's the, the premise is pretty pretty simple. The characters we've been introduced to. But there's a lot of really interesting themes that exist in Halloween Town that I want to dissect. Mm-hmm. So the first one, obviously, is... The one that's the most easy on its face, which is Halloween Town accepts everybody. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different ways that you can read that. Yes. Halloween Town accepts everyone, including all of these goofy background character masked people. I'm obsessed with all of them. I love the Cyclops the most because they look the dumbest. <laughs> I love seeing their dance moves in the background after, when they're celebrating at the end. I love it when they have to clap, but they're wearing gloves that they can't destroy, so their fingers aren't really touching. Uh-huh. I love all of these weird background characters because that's one of my favorite things to watch. Yeah. The, the, they're all accepted. <laughs> the citizens of Halloween Town are so great, and I love the idea that Halloween Town was built because monsters and humans once lived amongst each other, mm-hmm. but then the humans wanted to destroy the monsters, and the monsters like felt attacked, so they retaliated. So then people started treating them like they were evil, but that's not true. So then they went and they started their own like little haven. I think that that's great. I also think that's an an amazing kind of through line to be like, hey, kids, sometimes humans were the bad guys. Like, I think you need to get that in your brains really young. We're not always right. Sometimes we fuck up majorly and cause a lot of harm to to, to marginalized communities. And this is like that little, this is what we talked about during, during Monocross, how Disney Channel movies are like a Trojan horse for like progressivism. Uh-huh. That's what we're getting with Halloween Town for sure. Us humans just drove these monsters off their land. And what happens in Halloween Town without humans? Bliss. Yeah. Like a perfect community. Everyone seems pretty chill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty pretty good. Everyone gets along. Everybody knows your name. <laughs> that's, that's how the song goes, right? Uh, for this episode, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, they, they all get along with each other. People do not judge each other based on what they look like. But then there's also at the same time like this idea of appearance because it makes you feel good mm-hmm. like there there's a dental office there's a hair salon there's a gym like there are things that all exist but the people who are there they're clearly not doing it to be like oh hey be a hotter monster it's be a just sexier like, ghost yeah be a sexier ghost that's not what's happening it's just like hey you do this because you want to because it makes you feel good or you do this because you like the way it makes you feel like that that's i love that like that's great what a lovely little halloween town community it's great. It just I want to live there. It'd be so fun. You want you want to live there for many reasons. Yeah, that's true. Could you imagine like getting in a taxi cab with the overly expressive eyebrowed skeleton driver Benny? We love eyebrow acting on this podcast. Yeah, we do. I have never seen a skeleton with better facial acting than Benny. Benny's so good. Yeah. The like the other thing, the creature designs in this movie and the execution of said creature designs, because there's a there's a lot of them mm-hmm. in here. They're amazing. Like even the ones that look kind of like Halloween store cheapy, 
are still so fun and filled with so much personality that I love them. See, I that's the thing I really like, which is kind of the overall feel of Halloween Town, which is that they're silly. And yes. silly is such like a word that people don't want to use to describe things. And that feels unfortunate. Yeah, like Halloween Town is just like, it just feels like pure Halloween. Uh-huh. Like it feels like when you find that perfect Halloween mask that doesn't look like something that you've seen in a movie, but you know exactly what it is. That feels so cool to me. Like I love the pumpkin headed family, especially oh, yeah. when they go to the dentist and they have the little wrap around the pumpkin head. Like that's so cute. Mm-hmm. But I love that the pumpkin headed family, like they don't look like silver shamrock masks they Mm -hmm. just look like pumpkin masks and they're so cute yeah and there is something i really like about the halloween feel of this for this demographic because if you were to ask someone like like here here's how i'm gonna put this i worked at a halloween store for one season it was really bad (laughs) it was really bad and one of the only good experiences i got out of working there for that season was that you would have these kids come in and they were so excited. They would mm-hmm. go and run to like the wall of masks or you'd see little girls sifting through the bags of costumes trying to find their favorite Monster High character mm-hmm. or like kids being mad because, you know, their favorite Ninja Turtle was already taken. So they were stuck being Donnie, even though Donnie's the best. Uh, I like to say for the record that Michelangelo is my favorite for obvious reasons. But anyway, Donnie's the best. I don't care. So I say as someone who has very little investment in the Ninja Turtles, I just like them the most. But you would have that and it would be like, you know, kids maybe 11 and down, 12 and down. And they were all super excited to be there and just look at everything and take in everything. Probably because they're so small that everything is like this giant cityscape to them when they're inside of this essentially warehouse. Oh, yeah. I love when you get the videos that go around every year of the very small children who are just like running through spirit Halloweens and like playing with all of the yard decorations. Or there's that little girl, Lily, I follow on TikTok, who is obsessed with creepy babies. Oh, yes. And just will find new creepy babies at any of like the Halloween stores and just like, this is my baby now and carry it around. Mm -hmm. Like, bless her. She's amazing. Yeah, but that only works up to a certain age because then you get kids who are... uh... Get something very different out of Halloween. I have like 13, 14 year olds coming in and they're being like shitheads trying to break everything going like, where's purge masks? Like they're they're like with like a little bit of sinister intent asking where our purge masks are. And I'm like, dude, I don't I don't like what you're getting out of Halloween right now. And I think that, that that's the very big divide between what Halloween looks like when you're like 12, 13 years old versus even like 14, 15 years old. Well, I mean, we're recording this right after we watched the second episode of Chucky, mm-hmm. like the new Chucky series, which, by the way, if you're not watching it, it's amazing. It's so good. It's so good. It's infuriating how good Chucky is after just watching the shit mess that was Halloween Kills. Oh, God, don't. This is the third week in a row I've kind of pooped on the Halloween franchise. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sorry. Comedy works in threes. <laughs> no, Chucky's great, but they have a scene that is a Halloween party for 14-year-olds. And you can even tell looking at them, like, how different each kid's Halloween experience is. Like, some of the kids are dressed, like, a little sexier than they should for that age. Mm-hmm. Um, like, concerningly so. Um, but then there are some kids that, like, have really funny gimmicky com. com- gimmicky costumes some of them have like super lazy costumes because you're 14 you're too cool for halloween and then some of them have like evil malicious like 
there is a character on the new Chucky series, y'all, that like I've I've never hated a teen girl character more than I've hated this character. Like she's so good. She's so evil. At being the worst. She's terrible. I, I hope there's some sort of arc that is going to make me not want to punch her in the face as much because I feel that I should not feel this way about children. But I was like, mm, mm, she's awful. Yeah, she's terrible. <laughs> but I think there is just something really, really sincere and lovely about this age of a Halloween film. And there's other like younger Halloween classics out there, like, I don't know, Scary Godmother or something like that, which feels kind of infantile. Whereas this is still like enjoyable enough that like, I'm 30. I think this is okay. I could watch this maybe every couple of years and be fine with it. So what's funny is that Halloween Town is pretty beloved, but mm-hmm. there are definitely its detractors. Um, if you go to like Rotten Tomatoes and look at the the reviews of it, one of the complaints that most people who view this as a quote unquote rotten movie have is they think it's too juvenile. Because oh, I mean, they're like, it's not as it's not as good as Hocus Pocus or Beetlejuice. And it's like, well, first off, Beetlejuice is dealing with way darker themes than mm-hmm. this is. Beetlejuice can absolutely be a movie. Like, it's it's a transitionary movie, for mm-hmm. sure. Halloween Town's not a transitionary movie. Halloween Town is firmly in childhood. Yeah. And like it can be enjoyable for people that are a little bit older and in kind of the preteen age. Beetlejuice is like you really have to be a good judge of character on your child and what they are able to handle because some of some of the imagery in that movie is terrifying Mm -hmm. there's nothing in Halloween Town that I think is like terrifying there's things that are spooky Mm -hmm. that's for sure well it's also almost exclusively during the day yeah the only time that it's nighttime is uh start of the the start of the movie when they're on treating yeah yeah yeah, everything else is during the day, so like that kind of curbs it a little bit. And then um, there's even the moment that you pointed out that you love the uh, the caveat that they had to make. Oh yeah, where our villain, our our mysteriously Calabar. Yes, before being unmasked as the villain, uh, the the mayor of Halloween Town. Spoiler alert: the mayor's the bad guy. Who'd have fucking thought? Don't trust the government. But he shoots mom and grandma with like a spell, and then. Grandma has to specifically say, don't worry, it's just a spell that freezes us. So, because otherwise it's like, oh no, they just killed this woman in front of me. Right. Like, it is really funny. And I don't know if it was like tacked on after the fact or not. If they were like, oh no, this reads like Grandma Aggie just died. Um, because everyone else in the theater is frozen and like uh-huh. is not moving. And like as Grandma Aggie puts it, they act really different and then they disappear altogether. So like... <laughs> We've had that lore established, so without Grandma Aggie being like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just an evil spell. We're cool. It's fine. Just go off and do what you need to do. Yeah, it's... Then it implies that they're going to disappear. <laughs> yeah, and it's fine. At the end of the day, when we defeat the bad guy and restore the light to the giant jack-o'-lantern in Town Square, everyone's fine, except for that random person that got shot and ended up getting sucked into that portal. Yep. Fuck that person, I guess. Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> they're very gone now. <laughs> I offer you the chance to return to our days of glory, to end this exile from the mortal world which the humans have stolen from us. Follow me, my fellow citizens of Halloween Town. Too long have we been exiled to this Second class world forced to live here 
but 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 Calabar, do do we have some thoughts on on him? Because I was watching it, going, wait a minute, is he a fascist? Uh, so yes, Calabar is a fascist. <laughs> his baby's first fascist. Calabar is baby's first fascist because Calabar uh wants supremacy and wants to take over earth and destroy all humans because of what happened with the monsters yes and mind you he's giving his like lecture at city hall in front of the townspeople and there are people who are genuinely like you know hmm, and they're nodding going like he's making a few points like hmm, and i'm like no 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 mm-hmm. he's clearly evil well, because the other thing, too, is this whole idea of, like, you know, I see the people, and then the next day they're they're evil, and then they disappear. Mm-hmm. He's radicalizing them. Yeah. Like, against their will, because he's using magic. Was it, like, indoctrinating? But, yeah, he's indoctrinating them. Yeah. Like, and he's, and he's building he, his little army. He was elected as the mayor, and everyone's like, oh, I can trust the mayor, and he seems like a lovely guy. So then when he's just like, hey, I'm going to say stuff, it's like, well, I've never been given any reason to doubt you before. Mm-hmm. Everyone in this town is very friendly with each other. It's almost like the invention of lying or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to read something from a website that is called, Is This Movie Anti-Capitalist? And the entire website is just dedicated to analyzing like anti-capitalism in cinema. Okay. And I was very surprised because this article opens, this is from November of 2020. I do not have an author name. When I tell someone of an older generation that I'm a socialist, they often respond with, well, how would that actually work? And until now, I've had a hard time responding with a clear, fully formed vision of a socialist society. But from now on, I will respond with, watch Halloween Town. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So, you know, they go and they talk about, like, what the movie's about, but then they say, Halloween Town's founding is grounded in anti-capitalist practice. Many years ago, the creatures of Halloween Town lived alongside humans on Earth, but humans persecuted them for their differences, causing some of the magical beings to turn evil. Rather than continue to live in a world and a system that did not care about their well-being, the mystical beings banded together and left Earth to form their own liberated world. In founding Halloween Town, they created a socialist utopia because capitalism was not a natural system for them to conform to. When there is magic, there is no need for money. Everything in Halloween Town is funded by the state, aka magic, so there's no individual need or desire for wealth. From the moment Halloween Town is introduced, so are these anti-capitalist practices. The audience's first encounter in the magical society is through its free public transportation system. In order to take the bus between Earth and Halloween, neither Aggie nor the kids are required to pay any kind of fee. Shortly after, when the kids arrive in Halloween Town and need a ride to Grandma's house, the taxi is called for them. When they're dropped off and Marnie offers to pay Benny the skeleton driver, he laughs her off and says, catch me in the next life. This robust free public transportation system is only one of the socialist services that Halloween Town has to offer. They then go on to talk about things like the Tooth Fairy and how the Tooth Fairy has a job that is like really meaningful to him. He's the town dentist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he takes care of the, the infected vampire things. So this is, you know, socialism at work of like, hey, the people who have a passion for something let them have those jobs and everything is kind of funded through like mutual aid. Like the dentist takes care of everybody's teeth in Halloween town. So then like in turn, he can go where the Yeti gets ice cream and he can have pumpkin spice ice cream. Also, there is a sign for pumpkin spice syrup in this ice cream shop. And this is long before PSL craze, Halloween town (laughs) trendsetter. Obviously. But on that note, I do want to say that, 
I'm not sure Halloween Town is a uh, a big enough town to necessitate a bus and a taxi. Well, you got to get between worlds. I I guess I I'm just saying like this does not seem like it has a large populace. I think Benny's just doing this for the love of the sport. <laughs> I think yeah, Benny I think loves it. I, I think he I think he likes being that guy. He likes being able to have those conversations cuz Benny sort of has like a little bit of New York charm to him. Mm-hmm. Like he very much feels like the skeleton of a New York cabbie. Yeah. So he just loves it and he likes having those conversations. He likes getting people where they need to be. He likes driving really fast. Oh, you ever been stuck in a in a Uber or a Lyft with some guy who just is like, "Ah, oh, this is my favorite part of the job. I love meeting the people." Yes. And just keeps talking, and you're like, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) So another thing this article talks about specifically, and maybe this will help you understand a little bit of the Marnie character, is how she has been radicalized by Halloween Town. Okay. So the writer says, um, unfortunately, evil still comes to Halloween Town in the form of a sinister warlock who desires to take over the world by turning the creatures of Halloween Town into an army. Apparently, even within a socialist utopia, power-hungry straight white men threaten existence. (laughs) (laughs) But in encountering this evil and fighting for good, the Cromwell family exposes further principles that are paramount to upholding an anti-capitalist society. Throughout the movie, as the kids work to unfreeze their mother and grandmother who've been stupefied by the evil guy, Marnie holds on to the principles of life on Earth and has a hard time adjusting to Halloween Town. Specifically, she holds on to the idea that her brother is ordinary and can't have powers, and that her sister is too young to help. These are both examples of hierarchical thinking, likely ingrained in her from being raised in a capitalist world. For example, when trying to get into their grandmother's locked house, Marnie tries some silly rhyming spells that do not work, but when her back is turned, younger sister Sophie manages to unlock the gate. Marnie never once stopped to consider the possibility that Sophie has powers and instead continues acting like a know-it-all big sister. Again, when they are trying to light the all-powerful Merlin's talisman, Marnie struggles to remember the spell that Grandma used earlier. Rather than ask either sibling for help, she stubbornly keeps trying alone until Sophie begins muttering the correct spell. Time after time, Marnie tries to be the one to save the day, convinced that as the eldest sibling, she must be the most qualified. Finally, in the climax of the movie, the recently defrosted Aggie encounters the evil guy in the town square and they have a whose magic is more powerful fight. Think Harry versus Voldemort or Kylo Ren versus Rey. On her own, Aggie is struggling to fight him and needs help from her family. Mother Gwen lets go of her desire to give up a safe, normal life and join her powers with Aggie. Feeling helpless behind them, Marnie's brother begins showing signs of power for the first time and in this moment, Marnie is finally radicalized. She lets go of her capitalist, earthly ideas about sibling relationships, power, and leadership, and embraces Halloween Town's philosophies of equality, solidarity, and mutual aid. The three siblings step forward together as equals, and the five Cromwells banish the evil guy and restore good to Halloween Town. Yes. Yeah, no notes. (laughs) And also, Sophie is clearly a better witch than Marnie. So, okay, we had this discussion a little bit earlier when we were watching the movie, I agree, but also at the same time, Sophie is at the spark of like where her powers are beginning, so they still have a lot of magic in them. Marnie's powers were stomped out. Like she showed these early signs of having them, and her mom shoved them back down inside of her, not unlike parents who see early signs of their kids being gay and then aggressively try to course correct. Mm -hmm. You can't hide it. It's gonna happen. It's still there. It doesn't go away. It's in your blood. It's in your blood. It's it's who you are as a person. 
And I think like anything that has to deal with like being treated like a monster or being different or living differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the great line that Grandma Aggie has is being normal is vastly overrated. All of those can obviously have queer reads to the point where Kimberly J. Brown herself has an Etsy shop where she sells Halloween town inspired shirts. And one of them says being normal is vastly overrated and it's in rainbow colors. A lot of queer kids really resonated with this movie. Yes. So I actually asked you that when we were done watching this movie. And I said, BJ, how much of this is like rooted in like a lot of young people who got into like astrology and tarot and all of these other things that define a like queer spirituality and queer awakening? Um, If the comments of Kimberly... J. Brown's TikTok are any indication, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it I I can see it. It's it's like the Occam's razor of this movie where it's like, fuck. It's like the shortest point between two dots. It's so simple and obvious. <laughs> yeah. I think obviously at that age I didn't have the language for it. But the thing that I always really gravitated towards about Halloween Town and especially about Marnie was that idea of knowing what it's like to feel othered and wanting so badly to have my own community and, like, people that didn't make me feel othered. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was very, very lucky that I had a loving and supportive and affirming family. But they're also, like, they're my parents are not gay. Like, they can't relate to me on that level. They they don't – fully understand like the things that we go through and like it's it's not a constant education for them it's just constantly having to put things in front of them that they would not have known otherwise Mm -hmm. because it's not something that consumes their life every single day so they don't know the intricacies as well as we do yeah they don't know what they don't know exactly you don't know what you don't know and it's not out of like hatred or ignorance it's just they just they don't have the same access to information that i do yeah they don't know the internet very well No, and thank God for that. Um, (laughs) But that is something that always really resonated with me is because I did know what it felt like to to feel like the weird kid. And I was loud and defiant in spite of being the weird kid and being misunderstood. And I don't think people knew what to do with that. Mm -hmm. So seeing somebody like Marnie who was weird and then who was also loud because like we do see Marnie's friends at the the very beginning for like a split second. Mm -hmm. They are far more docile than she is. Like, she is clearly, like, the leader of that friend group and the the type A personality, for sure. And I, I resonated with that as well. Like, I definitely had friends that were far more, quote, unquote, normal. You're a bold, angry lesbian? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, Marnie's not a lesbian. Marnie is, is very straight. Marnie likes boys. Marnie does like boys. And that's totally cool. She's That is her right. She's a great ally. Mm-hmm. Big fan of that. Um <laughs> But that messaging, I think, is so important for kids. And I think for a generation of queer kids who have kind of been made to feel like monsters, like the idea of a place like Halloween Town existing was definitely the stand-in for the found family that we get as queer people. Yeah. No, I can totally see that. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's it's just it's always resonated really nicely with me. And this this article ends on a note that I think is just really, really powerful. Okay. It says, though Marnie has some adjusting to do, those native to Halloween Town reap the benefits of a more enlightened mindset. 
As a result, Halloween Town is not only a socialist utopia in terms of the social services the state provides, but the societal structure also has a positive impact on them mentally and physically. It shouldn't be a surprise that a society with free public transportation, health care, and other social services breeds positive, kind, community-oriented citizens. All of the leaders on Earth, specifically those in the U.S., could benefit from a viewing of Halloween Town to consider this concept. But unfortunately, American citizens' collective happiness doesn't seem to be a priority for our current government. Wealth and the mindset of capitalism are too deep-rooted in our culture. Soon, just as Aggie and friends were forced to do so many years ago, we must build a new world. As we dream of this revolution, we must all look to Halloween Town as a guide for a more just, joyful, and dignified society. It's a very idyllic mindset that you get I know. with children's media. <laughs> right. Like, you feel like you can do anything and conquer the world, which is such a great feeling to have as a child. And then as we grow older, our own Merlin's talisman inside of the jack-o'-lanterns of our being burn out. Oh, yeah. Then you start smashing pumpkins as a board teen. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of anger that I need to get out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to smashing pumpkins while I smash pumpkins. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Um, but I, I think that it's it's really interesting that even a movie that is so silly, because it's it's pretty silly. But silly is a good thing. It's saying something so meaningful and so important and doing so in like a very, in a very accessible way. And the only real beef that I have is like Gwen sort of gets a redemption arc a little too quickly for my liking. Mm -hmm. And yes, there is definitely a scene where Marnie apologizes for being a know-it-all and kind of being so mouthy and her mom apologizes for not trusting her and for not telling her the truth. And those are all good things, but it, it very much feels like it's tied up and wrapped nicely in a bow. Um, I, I would have loved to see a little bit more exploration with that, but ultimately it's still a kid's movie, so I can't be too harsh on it. No, judge it for what it is. And exactly. This is not like a haunted house. This is more like a, a Halloween parade. Or like a hayride. Yeah, like definitely just, the Halloween parade just, for it's sure. It's just real nice. Yeah, it's it's the costume contest parade where everything feels good and nothing feels scary or ultra competitive. Just everyone's there to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I really, really like that. Um, the last thing that I really want to touch on is you've now seen 3D comes. Oh, fuck, I have. Uh-huh. Weird. <laughs> At least I've, the first time I've seen 3D comms any time in the last, like, 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Halloween Town is so advanced cinematically than a lot of the movies that we get with DCOMs. Okay. And it's because of who made it. <laughs> okay. Because it feels like, like an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode or something. Uh-huh. Which, you know, big fan of that aesthetically. So the director of Halloween Town is Dwayne Dunham. Okay. Dwayne Dunham, uh, this is this is his first DCOM, but uh, certainly not his last. Okay. Um, so here are some movies that he's directed. Sure. Little Giants. Okay, I've never actually seen that. Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Have seen that. Okay. The 13th Year. Okay. Ready to Run, Double Teamed, Right on Track, Tiger Cruise, uh, so a bunch of DCOMs. Many DCOMs, Many, yes. many DCOMs. Before he got into... Family films. Mm-hmm. He was an editor. Okay. Dwayne Dunham 
edited things like Twin Peaks. Uh-huh. Wild at Heart, the David Lynch movie. Blue huh. Velvet, okay. the David Lynch movie. Yes. Cherry 2000, a movie that you've not seen, but I love. Mm-hmm. And a little movie called Star Wars, Return of the Jedi. <laughs> so if anyone knows how to edit a movie that is filled with characters wearing rubber suits. There's a lot of goofy shit. It's going to be this guy. <laughs> okay, but for real, I... I love unearthing this like specific microcosm of filmmaking that involves very talented people who do lots of things, but also they do like made for TV movies and sometimes they're for the Disney channel and yet people are going, this is bad. And I'm like, okay, but there's actually like super talented people doing this. Oh yeah. We have this conversation a lot with Tom McLaughlin, who most people know as the director of Friday the 13th part six, I believe if I'm wrong. That's fine. Some horror bro will tell me I'm a piece of shit later about it. It's you think cool. horror bros are listening to the Halloween Town episode? You know, great point. Great <laughs> I point. I think you're safe. <laughs> but Tom McLaughlin also directed a lot of Lifetime original movies, and they are, in my opinion, some of like the premier, absolute best Lifetime original movies. Mm-hmm. He's responsible for She's Too Young, which you all know is my favorite one. He's one also day. he's involved with the Fab Five, the Texas Cheerleader scandal. Um, cyber seduction um there's one with alexa vega where she's getting bullied it's like the girl something i don't remember i'm not looking it up right now because this is a thought that came while we were having the show so i didn't do it beforehand anyway but you're totally right there is this microcosm of people who have worked on these really like edgy projects or like horror movies or big giant sci-fi epics who then direct disney channel movies and they tend to be the ones that are the best ones because they're really cool. The range. The the range. The range. You know, I'll tell you what. Tarantino could never make a DCOM, but a lot of people who make DCOMs could make a Tarantino movie. You're damn right they could. <laughs> this guy definitely could. Yeah. He's edited all David Lynch movies. He knows how to make some cool shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Halloween Town is just... A wonderful experience and a great movie for this season, and I just I just love it. But the point of the show is not about whether or not I love it. Oh, no. You've done probably 75% of the talking for this episode because you have many passionate feelings. I, have I know so how you feel. Feelings. <laughs> I have so many feelings. So, Harmony, the time has come. Uh-huh. Halloween Town is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? It's a yes. Oh, thank God. I wanted a dramatic pause because I wanted you to sweat for a sec. That was really mean. <laughs> Everyone's entitled to one good scare. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, I just think that this is just a charming little movie. Like, there's not really much more to it than that. Like, obviously, you can read into it and have, like, really deep concepts about, like, fuck straight cis men who are, like, working government. They don't have your best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Revolution, comrades, like you can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's also like a, a, a now an adult joke that works and is really, really silly and fun in this movie. But at its heart, like this is such a relaxing ride of a, of a movie. Like mm-hmm. that's why I could, like compared it to like a hayride where it's like, oh no, you're going maybe like 10 miles an hour getting towed by this tractor. And like, look, there's some scarecrows and some pumpkins. And like, it just feels nice to be outside in like the cool air. Like that's that's cool. It it feels festive. It feels like a like a ha- a Halloween tradition. 
And any movie that's going to have like a very awesome werewolf hairdresser or a fast talking zombie salesman, mm-hmm. I'm who, very in. Who does half of an Elvis impression, but also doesn't look like Elvis? Yeah, the zombie salesman, I looked up and he does a lot of acting still. Um, so that's kind of cool. Like, good for you, dude. Um, but there's just so much fun character work and all of the characters have personality. And it just feels like everybody who was involved in this film was having the best time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something that I'm not going to read because I physically cannot read it without crying. When Debbie Reynolds passed away, so for those who don't know this already debbie reynolds is carrie fisher's mom Mm -hmm. debbie reynolds obviously she was in singing in the rain she was in a million movies she's an absolute fucking legend i mostly know her for her children's films like charlotte's web well that's the thing is like there's like a split in her in her fan bases because she had like this second wind when she was older and got to you know play that character like this perfect grandma character yeah like this is our second debbie reynolds movie what was our first Debbie Reynolds movie? Kiki's Delivery Service. Oh, you're right. Yeah, she is in that. Um, so, De- you know, Debbie Reynolds has this, like, humongous age range of fans. Um, but Kimberly J. Brown has talked a lot about her because, you know, they did all the Halloween Town movies together. Mm-hmm. So they have a very close relationship. Like, they were friends outside of this because of it. And I guess Debbie Reynolds was, like, such a proud mom that on set, she introduced herself not as, like, I'm Debbie Reynolds, a goddamn fucking legend. She introduced herself as I'm Princess Leia's mom, mm-hmm. which, like, just warms my heart so much because I also love Carrie Fisher so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, Debbie Reynolds was, like, a great mom because she raised a great woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Debbie Reynolds passed away, Kimberly J. Brown did write a very moving letter in honor of her that you can find if you just Google, like, Kimberly J. Brown, Debbie Reynolds letter. You'll find it. It's so touching because you realize that, like, the relationship between Debbie Reynolds and Kimberly J. Brown and the relationship between, like, Grandma Aggie and Marnie, like, are very real. Like, it's very authentic, and it just adds another layer to enjoyment for this movie because it's just so sweet. Yeah, absolutely. Make me feel good. Mm-hmm. All right, friends. I think that takes us out on Halloween Town. As always, you can support the show on patreon patreon.com backslash this ends at prom you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at this ends at prom you can follow me on twitter and instagram at bj colangelo harmony where can people follow you i am also on twitter and instagram at velocitraptor velosa underscore trap underscore tour and bj we actually did something really fun over on uh, the jabroni U network for halloween didn't we we did. We did a really fun thing over on the Jabroni U Network. So for those that don't know, the Jabroni U Network is the home of some podcasts that we really, really love, The Draft Pod, Why Did We Ever Meet, which is our family's podcast, as well as Biff Radio and Wes Allen over at Why Did We Ever Meet took over the Draft Pod for Halloween. Mm-hmm. So Harmony and I got to do our own uh, drafts. I got to draft teens in horror (laughs) and i got to draft non-universal monsters it is a total blast if you want to hear where that is it's over at jabroni u it's the draft pod it's a lot of fun they're long as hell episodes they're the hosts are real fun i Mm -hmm. think you'll like the guys um we we brought some very weird choices to the table that's that's the fun of it though yeah it is part of the fun but 
definitely check those out. Um, they're, they're, they're great. Great. If you got to clean your house and you just need to kill two hours. Perfect. We got you covered. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you again, as always to the Sonder Bombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Y'all are the best. We love you. So Harmony, who is the cool indie band that you want people to check out this week? Because of when this movie came out, I wanted to plug a band that sounds like they're straight out of 1998. There is a wonderful uh, 90s-inspired pop group called Crybaby, and they released an album a couple weeks ago called Everything I Didn't Say. And it is such good, like, boy band, like, sugary pop stuff, but also super funky. I've played a few songs for you, BJ, and I know you're just like, what? I like them a lot. (laughs) Like, it breaks your brain when you hear these people put together, like, such authentically good rock-ish inspired music that also is very danceable and so incredibly for the time they're trying to emulate. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's it's impressive. It is. I don't know if I had a favorite song on this album. Maybe maybe Give You Up or, or Must Be Something. I don't know. The whole album's great. It's also not super long so you can like marathon all 20 minutes of it like in one sitting super easily nice it is nice well friends that takes us out thank you again for listening we will see you next time and don't forget save that last dance for us happy halloween goodbye This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.